Welcome to Behind the Smiles with your host, the queen of yappy herself, Dr. Gina Dorfman. This is a podcast where we interview some of the biggest leaders in dentistry, learn their stories, and share their motivation. Brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. Book a demo today at yappyapp.com. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smiles. I'm here today with someone who I wanted to have on a show for a very long time. It took a while to coordinate things, but here we are. So welcome, Jamie Amos. Jamie, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The amazing Dr. Gina Dorfman. I finally get to hang out with you virtually. I hung out with you once in and real you, life. Yes. I finally get to hang out with you virtually. This is amazing. And I know. seriously, Gina, with all that you do, like the book and the practices and Yappy and oh my goodness, like you are a crazy, busy, accomplished person. And uh, this is awesome. I'm so glad that you're able to make time. And I hope we have an awesome conversation today. It's going to be fun. I know you have great energy and a wealth of information. So if anyone's been living under the rock and they don't know who you are, let me do a little intro. So Jamie founded Ideal Practices, which is dentistry elite startup practice consulting firm. Now, he has a team of consultants, and those consultants work with a limited number of private practices or private practice dentists. You focus on private practices, that's correct, to open highly successful startups. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about startups. How do you open one successfully with uh, least pain possible? How do you make it work? How do you survive the beginning and all that good stuff? How many startups have you done? Oh, many hundreds, not many thousands. So (laughs) many hundreds. Yeah, lots of startups all over the country. And it's obviously not just me. Sometimes people will talk with ideal practice or talk with me and say, well, how do you do so many startups? It's not me. There's 17 of us on our team all over the country. It's really special to see these associate dentists go from just a couple years out of dental school and feeling overwhelmed by maybe the pressures of corporate dentistry or feeling like there are no practices to buy or feeling like the rug was pulled out from underneath them from a practice owner who made them big promises and then wouldn't sell them the practice, which happens all the time. It's so inspiring to me to see associate dentists go from that place to becoming these admired respected, accomplished startup practice owners. And I'm talking even in just the the first couple of weeks or first couple of months, certainly the first year where these success stories put these associate dentists who were feeling kind of squished or limited maybe, or, or held back and see them just be released. And like the freedom and the charge and the energy and the confidence and the courage from these regular people, it is so inspiring to see how startups do that in dentistry. So if we could frame the conversation today, I'd say like, let's make it startup, startup, startups the whole day. And then I'll speak to associate dentists because that's that's who I like serving best. So there you go. That's what we do. I love that. And of course, not only associate dentists, sometimes even accomplished dentists start second and third location. And I don't know if that's something that you even focus on, but you're right about associates. I was just actually on one of the Facebook groups 
I think it was the group that was formerly the Dental Hacks. And the conversation was from the associates feeling like maybe they're not being paid even as much as a hygienist or being mistreated, or they try and then they leave and they still own money from the practice. It's not always that experience. I have several associates in my practice, and I believe that I treat them well and pay them well. And it's because they're giving me so much. They're putting the food on my kid's table. But it's definitely not everyone's experience. And I know myself growing from an associate to a startup to a second startup, it was probably some of the most exciting times that I've lived through. It was definitely a lot of fun. Before we get there, I have to ask you, how did you get into this? This is pretty niche light of work. How did you get into this? Yeah, it's funny. You know, it's like uh, those, those cocktail conversations. People will say, hey, what do you do? I, and I've gotten it down finally after, I don't know, 10 years, 20, 15 years. I finally figured out how to say it. I, I say, well, we work with dentists. We're the top consulting firm that opens more startups than anyone in dentistry. And they're all customized because we only focus on private practice owners. <laughs> so <laughs> dentists, startups, private practice ownership, all fully customized every time. So we get hundreds of applications per year for, for our consulting program. And we only accept a, on average about seven per month into the program. Again, we're only so many people on our team. We're not trying to build like a billion dollar empire here. But creating these startups is time consuming and it's stressful and it's challenging. And it's, it's always something different. Everyone is completely different from the next. But for me, it all started back right after undergrad. I started a recruiting company and it grew really well. Recruiting, nothing related to dentistry. We were working with engineers and scientific people. It grew pretty quickly. In the first year, we had 34 employees. We did over a million dollars of business in that first year. And that was back in like 2002, I guess, 2003. And I sold that company in 2002, 2003. Sold that company back to the co-founder. He ran with it and did very well. From that, with those winnings, I started buying some real estate, commercial and residential and after a little while, I ended up realizing that through a dental friend who invited me to be its boards patient, happy to tell you that story, actually helped him fail his boards. It wasn't his fault. I showed up 45 minutes late. Whoops. Uh, he, he failed my fault, full disclosure. But I started noticing that what, with what he and his family had done with dentistry, I started noticing some overlap and some fascinating connections between real estate and small business and dentistry. So in combining you know, the demographic strategies that I developed in real estate with my real estate experience, the small business, fast growth stuff that I had been fortunate to experience after undergrad. And then the dental component, watching those three things marry up and time after time after time, create these really special success stories of doctors taking a leap and creating this really rewarding journey through a startup has been fascinating. So it's been a long journey and I've learned a lot, made my fair share of mistakes, but you know, maybe like you after a few hundred crowns, you get you get better. So <laughs> after a few hundred of almost anything, you get pretty good at it. And that's what we love doing, you know, helping startups all over the country. That's how we got started. I love this story for so many reasons. I interviewed Cameron Harold on the, my podcast. He started the business while still in undergrad, and then he started another business, and then he started another business. And this is what I hear from founders, you know, that like, and I love that about you. You graduated and you didn't look for work, or maybe you did, but like yeah. immediately you started the business, grew a business, sold it, started another business, and then another. And every time you've learned something and you parlayed it into the next company's success. Well, and- I, I think I found myself almost. You could use the word addicted, I guess, but I almost found myself addicted 
I just continue to find myself addicted to that energy of that creation of something from nothing and watching somebody go from an idea with a bunch of like post-it notes around in their office or a bunch of like notebooks full of notes that they took at courses and watching all that create a defined plan for a startup. We call it the 13 stages, which we can talk about that today, but a, a very systematic 13 stages process to get open successfully. But watching like the tornado of ideas lock in to a structured process, but then watching a human go through that, like it's cool if corporate dentistry does that, that's fine. Or like massive DSOs, good for them, God bless. But watching that happen to an individual, like a good-hearted, well-intentioned, values-based clinician who wants to provide for their family and become a leader in their community, that is one of the most rewarding and like I said, maybe addictive things that I've ever been a part of. So we've always gone under the premise of focusing on values, not just discounts for our clients, you know, helping dentists open practices that are recognized for their values, their reputation, their pride, their passion, and the things that they're committed to in their community, not just kind of going the discount factory style model. You know, there's a place for that too, I guess. But yeah, watching that evolve for an associate dentist and watching them be able to rise up has been borderline magical. So it's been really special. And it is magical and special for the dentist to go through this process, but it could also be scary, very scary and gut-wrenching and you need a lot of advice. And sometimes that advice, they seek advice from their peers who are probably, and they mean well, but they're not always qualified to give the greatest advice. Uh And in my case, so I did my first startup in 2002. We opened in April and we just discovered Dental Town at the time, you know, and there were no dental Facebook groups. The information on internet was very scarce. So I had Dr. Rand's 30-day MBA, yeah. literally on cassette tapes. <laughs> like yeah, that's, that's yeah. how old it was. Sure, and yeah. I had Dr. Rick Kushner come for dental manual. And I literally stitched together a practice philosophy from those two, taking whatever <laughs> I needed, taking Sandy uh-huh. Perdue's advice. Yeah, sure. Henry Schein did the office layout for me. And I just remember taking scissors and cutting it all up and re-gluing it <laughs> yeah, the way that I wanted. Great. I love <laughs> so it. You, when you yeah. kind of, when you were talking about the post this process. I mean, yeah. that's literally how it was. And I read something on your website that you take the founder's vision and you build on that. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that is so important because every company needs to start with a vision. And sometimes, you know, when I talk to offices and I ask them like, what is your vision? And they say, well, I want to provide comfortable, convenient care to my patients. I'm like, that's not a mission. Yeah. That's not a mission. Uh-huh. Nobody yeah. strives to provide bad care in an uncomfortable yeah. way. You know, that's not. Yeah. How disappointing would it be if, if you asked, you know, Truett Cathy, the founder of Chick-fil-A, if you're like, hey, so what's your vision? What if he said, like, I don't know, chicken sandwiches that aren't dry? Yeah. Like, <laughs> cool. Like, awesome. So you don't want to fail? I guess that's one benchmark of success, I guess. <laughs> one of the things I, I've noticed is, like, when it comes to vision, I've noticed that you could get really thrown off the rails with all the specifics of, let's call it how versus what. How, meaning like, how do I assemble all this? How do I negotiate a lease? How do I get the best rate? How do I do my demographics? How do I do marketing? Those are all relevant questions, all those how questions. But I find that those, for many of the startups that we've worked with, maybe all of them, those how questions, if brought on too early, they derail 
what could happen. They derail the potential for the associate dentist who's going to be a practice owner, and they derail the potential of the trajectory of that practice. Here's the comparison. So there's all those how questions. The what questions are more like, well, let's be honest here and ask, what do you want to be known for? Like a reputation, like a deep-rooted reputation in the community. Let's get crystal clear on what you want to be known for or, or what you want to be remembered by when it's all done. Because someday, like Gina, you know, you've seen this tons of times. Someday, practice ownership will end. Whether you want it to or not, it's coming. So let's decide now, before you even begin your journey of a startup, let's decide what you want to be remembered by, like a legacy. Let's decide on that way before you begin so that it's almost like you have a flag planted on a future hill and your career is chasing that flag up on that hill. That's your goal, like to just go chase that. And you can make minor adjustments, but if you're not clear on what you want to be remembered by, then you don't even know where you're headed. I like how Dave Maloli, you and I both know Dave. Yeah. Dave has said, Jamie, you know, in his super wise tone, love the guy. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, I, it breaks my heart when I see my colleagues and I'll stop trying to impersonate him. But he says, I see my colleagues running around a track their whole career and they're running faster and faster and harder and harder. And some of them are even breaking records running around this track. But then one day they wake up and they realize <clears throat> I've been running the wrong direction. So when I say with a startup that we're talking about vision, I'm talking about what do you want to be known for? What kind of legacy do you want to create? What do you want to give to? Like, what do you want to give in your community? What kind of philanthropy do you want to be involved in? So if we can get clear on the character or even the integrity or the values of, that a practice wants to be known by, if we get clear on all those things, then I think the rest of the stuff begins to unfold. So that's the approach we've always taken. And maybe for me, that's the byproduct of what I desire to do with ideal practices. I know with that recruiting company that I told you about, <laughs> it was successful monetarily. But man, I genuinely felt empty and unaccomplished, as weird as that sounds. You know, my friends came to me for advice. I was featured in different publications, and that was great. But I remember feeling kind of like I lost, <laughs> even though I won, <laughs> like I lost because <laughs> there's nothing left over that I was proud of or that I planned out. So if you're only listening to this, if it's like the audio version, it'll go quiet for a second. Gina, I'm not leaving. I promise. Hey. Okay. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> right, weird. Two things here. One out of my closet and one off of my shelf. Okay. So this, this is a golf ball that says ideal practices on it. And then a black Nike polo shirt that says ideal practices. Okay. So I like to think that as a business owner, especially a startup practice owner, you have to decide which one of these you want. Do you want to be known like this guy or do you want to be known like this guy? Like they're both golf. They're both kind of cool, but this one's just a logo, right? And this one, look what it says. So at the bottom of the logo on the shirt, on the black Nike shirt, it says practice, profit, purpose. Then in addition to that, Gina, you and I were talking before we started recording. Check this out. So this says 4,000 by 2024. That's on all of our swag, all of our sleeves, all of our stuff. The 4,000 by 2024 is just as prominent. Like it's literally just as big as the logo. And the 4,000 by 2024 represents, it looks like a math equation, but what it means is that by the year 2024, we as a team will have opened over 4,000 startups here and overseas. So overseas, we don't open dental practices. Overseas, we fund startup businesses in third world countries. We, we provide the money for nonprofit loans. So every time a startup practice opens under the Ideal Practices Watch, we provide the money to fund 10 startup businesses in some of the poorest communities in the world where they don't have access to any kind of funding besides like a loan shark rate of interest rates where the crippling interest rates, we provide the money so they can start 
a small business like uh, maybe getting a couple of goats so they can have a couple baby goats and then they can sell the milk, right? So startups change lives. And I like to think, well, shoot, you, you get to choose, you get one chance with a startup. And the trajectory you set today, the flag that you plant in that future, the hill you begin running on can be either the black polo shirt with your values, or it can be like a logo. I love. So that. neither one's wrong. It's just, which one do you want? And you get to choose. That's my approach to startups. And I absolutely, I, I mean, I love your energy. I love your love for vision. And by the way, what you're doing with helping small businesses get funded in third world countries is absolutely amazing. That's just, well, you. you know, I, my applause to you. Have you ever had something in your professional career or whatever, where you're like, look, screw it. Like, I don't care. I don't care if I get a dollar. I don't care if I, if I lose dollars, I'm going to be a part of this part here. <laughs> like this thing I'm going to be a part of. So that startups overseas is that for me, I just, I love startups and I love seeing those lives literally change from people who I've seen this in person. Like I've traveled to go see it. And I remember walking down a little dusty road with the group and thinking, where are we? Like these little cinder block homes with old shack tin roofs. I remember walking down and seeing a woman at the end of this little path. And she's sitting around this big like metal bowl, really large woman sitting around with a couple looked like preteens sitting around this giant bowl. And we get close and the guy says, here's the business. I said, what? He said, this is the micro lending business that was funded. I said, that's a business. <laughs> and he said, look, look at what you see. And I looked at it differently after he pointed some things out. What I saw was a mother who was unemployed and left by her husband. I saw a mother providing for her kids. They were frying plantains, you know, the, the bananas. They were frying bananas to turn them into banana chips. So they were like fried potato chips. And then they were bagging them up. And then the kids would take hundreds of these bags of banana chips to the market to sell the banana chips. And so their loan, I suppose, went to buy the kettle and all the oil and the cart to carry the banana chips to the market. So with startups, that's what I see that happens. I see that if we do it right with a startup in the States, with a dental startup, yes, it's true that on Facebook, like you said, Gina, there are lots of kind of outsider opinions, social media groups who say, oh, just keep going or you'll get there eventually. Just keep fighting the fight or... Don't worry, not too many startups go out of business. Well, yeah, not many go out of business. But I don't know if you just saw that poll, Gina. I just saw a poll on social media on one of the Facebook groups that said, what were your total production numbers in your first year as a startup? And more than 50% of them said two hundred dollars to $300,000. Now, let me put this in perspective. 50% said two hundred dollars to $300,000. That sounds like a lot of money when you're like, well, that 300 grand, that's a lot of money, right? No, not with a startup at two to $300,000. Mind you, remember 50% of them, half of the startups who responded to this poll said I'm at 200, 300K in their first year. 200, 300K literally means you're paying to keep your business open. After the rent, after your loan, after your staff, after your whatever, after your supplies, you are literally paying to show up at your own job. That is soul crushing. That is wrong. And it breaks my heart that that happened. So that's what I get excited about, setting it on the right track <laughs> with the right direction. So there you go. That's, I don't need to soapbox, but there you go. There you go. No, it's, you know what? It's, it's fascinating because we see those stories where startup opens and it just thrives from the day one. And then we see the ones where it's a non-starter, it's a soft start, and then it's another soft start and just like keep plugging away, keep going. And here's what happens. We start, we graduate from dental school, we go to associateship, and then we say, 
I want to work for myself. I want to be my own boss. I want to decide how I treat my patients. I want to have the flexibility to go home at the normal, decent hour. I want to have people reporting to me. And then it's like, oh, business is hard. I don't know how to manage people. I don't know how to motivate employees. And then it's like 10, 15 years later, it's like, oh, I just have to do another 15 years before I can finally hang up that handpiece. And what an awful way to live your life. I'm going to tell you a quick story. First of all, Cameron Harold, he has this you know, story of a vivid vision. Like you have to start your business with a vivid vision. And the way it works is that you get in a time machine and you fly three years out. You land in front of your practice. You come out. What do you see? Who are you serving? Who is working in your practice? What are you known for? What do your online reviews say about you? How are you practicing? Do you have associates? Do you have? And again, don't ask how. You just mind mapping, but that creates a vision of where you want to be. And I'll tell you a story about my first startup. I lived in West Hollywood and I was looking for a location near home because I wanted life work balance. And I figured being close to home is, is the way to go. And I kind of had like, this vision of a practice that I wanted while I was still in dental school, but then it wasn't the practices I was opening because that was hard. And I don't know, I kind of somehow convinced myself into, and I, I found the right place that I really liked. It was very cute. I was shopping chairs. Like, would I want blue upholstery? And this is what you see on those groups. Like, so I'm going to be a startup. What chairs do you guys have? You know what? You can, at some point, you need to answer that question, but you don't start with the chairs. It doesn't matter what color your upholstery is. But I was like kind of walking around, imagining what this office is going to look like. We had a lease almost ready to go. And then the mother of the lessor came in and said, I don't want a dentist in my building. They, their chairs are too heavy. It's on the second floor. They're going to flood my own. I didn't get the lease signed. And for half a minute, I was crushed. And then I was talking to a Henry Schein consultant, Mike Dukes, who was helping me with all this. And he said, okay, let's take a step back. What do you want to do in your practice? I said, well, I want to have a family practice. I want to have associates because one day I don't want to be the sole provider of dentistry. I want to have multiple associates. I want to have the ability to travel, to have life work balance. I want to have kids in the practice. And he goes, okay, so you're trying to open a three-chair office in West Hollywood, which is predominantly gay community. And what you want is a, a family like a practice of associates. Yes. Uh, big difference. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so I need to find that woman and thank her for pretty much saving my ass. Wow. Yeah, my friend, right? yeah. It's like, unfortunately, many associate dentists are told by the industry at large that a startup is just something you should jump into. And everybody knows there are inherent risks. Everybody knows it's scary. Everybody's afraid of opening the doors with, with theoretically zero patients. All that, that sounds pretty scary. But unfortunately, what no one talks about are the financial risks for a startup are higher than anything else I've ever seen in a private retail business. Like, like a, a private retail dental practice, a local business, the costs and the financial risks are extreme. To your point, let's pretend that you signed a lease with a three-chair three practice. Thank God you didn't because look at what you've done to serve the industry through Yappy and everything else because of your first couple steps were right. If your first steps are right, the momentum can carry you beautifully. But if you ended up or anyone accidentally ends up with a decision like three chairs, three chairs are fine. But if you ended up with a three-chair practice, your future potential would have been stuck. Not just you, but there are many decisions like that in demographics. I'll give you three examples. In demographics, if a startup ends up 
choosing a demographics area, meaning, meaning the selection of people and places on a map, what's the right fit for their practice, who will they enjoy serving most, literally where on the map should they be in the demographics section. Once that's chosen, you don't get a redo. <laughs> you, you can't fire your demographics. Like once you sign a lease in that area, like you're there. Here's another example. Let's just say lease. I mentioned lease. So real estate. Once you sign the lease, it's a legally binding contract that is a major financial obligation. And you get one chance to negotiate it. And you know, Gina, the people who own the real estate, they make a professional living negotiating leases. That is how they make their money. They're really good at it. They have big time lawyers. They have big time accountants. Typically, if you're negotiating with a strip mall, it's a billion dollar plus firms of experts who are negotiating against the lease signer, meaning the dentist. They're literally negotiating against you. Now, they're going to arguably treat you right. But when you sign that lease, there are no redos. If you get it right, I'll give you an example of a guy in Tampa, this guy, Andrew, one of our clients, we helped him go through the lease negotiations. We go through all those 13 stages. We're, we're side by side for every single stage of the 13 stages, whether it takes you six months or six years to get open. We're side by side for the whole process. So he's in his lease negotiating stage. They said, hey, I think this lease is good. Should we sign it? We said, whoa, 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 slow down. Let's get a little deeper here. The lease negotiation story for him, ready? This sounds a little weird, but he now has 30 free months of rent. Oh, wow. 30, like two and a half years worth of free rent. <laughs> That's yeah. huge. So for two and a half years, his startup has no rent costs. And on top of that, so now he's been open about nine months. His numbers right now, real guy, Andrew in Tampa, awesome guy. Uh, he'll cost 750 grand this month in his ninth month as a startup, cold scratch startup with no rent, like no rent payments. So lease negotiations, you could absolutely lose your shirt and get stuck in the wrong place and overspend by over five hundred thousand dollars I know from lease negotiations like you can really lose your shirt a third problem for a lot of people is the banking most people when they start talking with banks startup dentists associate docs who are considering banking they go into it with a very consumer minded perspective and a consumer minded perspective on a bank loan is what kind of interest rate will I get how do I get the <laughs> lowest interest rate I can promise you the interest rate is like barely in the top five considerations for a startup, <laughs> barely in the top five. That might sound like heresy to some people like Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey would be like, Jamie, no, it's the interest rate. No, 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 it's not. For a startup dental practice, it's about structure. We need to understand the third thing, if the bank will actually have enough money to fund construction, equipment, hiring, marketing. Why do you think so many startups on these Facebook groups I get the calls. I get the emails. They say, Jamie, please help. Or on Facebook, they say, hey, Facebook world, please help. All you other startup docs who've done this one time, can you tell me what to do? I'm out of money and I don't have enough patience. Oh, <laughs> if your bank, if your lending strategy isn't built for your practice in your market, for your ideal patient, for your vision, if it's not built for that, then you could really end up in an irreversible really expensive, painful situation. So of those three things, I can tell you right off the bat, the vast majority of startups that I see out there who are struggling, the struggling ones will oftentimes need a part-time job for two or three or four years just to keep the doors open and the lights on in their own startup. And 
it certainly does not need to be that way. <laughs> so those are some of like the bad stories. So there you go. Those are like the irreversible, some some pretty painful things that happen to people at startups today. And I've seen that. To talk about. I've seen that. I've seen that. By the way, it's the same Henry Shine consultant guy told me most businesses don't. Oh, I remember because I was getting place that was much bigger. And by the way, since I've expended it twice and I'm currently changing my private office into a surgical operatory. And at this point, I am out of like there's nowhere to go. I can't unless I build a building next to it. But I remember opening this space and he said, you know, filing into bankruptcy in six chairs is pretty much the same as filing bankruptcy in 10 chairs. <laughs> but it's almost never happens in, in dentistry. <laughs> That's awesome. So we ended up going with a bigger space. I mean, I, mean, I guess I was easily convincible. And he wasn't wrong. I didn't file for bankruptcy. I was actually, we were profitable the first month, which is, you know, I didn't have a consultant. I was just figuring things out. But that I was lucky. Yeah. You know, that really should be the goal. The goal should be to have a profit even in the first month. So when, when you hear all those stories or you see those posts of people saying, oh, just keep going, it'll, it'll be okay. I can't tell you how many times you see people posting almost like you can hear their fingers hitting the keyboard really hard. They're like, I'm going to do it this way. These are the demographics I need to do. It. I'm going to work with this. And it's almost like fake confidence. And then eight months later, you hear them saying things like, oh, crap, what have I done? <laughs> how do I get the right employees? Or I don't have enough patience to keep this place busy. Or a big competitor moved into town. Holy crap, what do I do? I didn't plan for this possible future. So those things are necessary to discuss. But I also think what I get most excited about, what I look forward to most is when I see doctors. Actually, I just I just saw one of our clients, Gino, recently posted in one of our private groups for rapid accelerating startups. He's not going to like set the world on fire for most profitable practice in America. That's not ever my goal. It shouldn't really be anybody's goal in private practice ownership, I think. But in his case, this guy, he came from Lima, Peru. He's a self-proclaimed, he had a lot of social anxiety when he came to the States. And he was a dentist in Peru, came to the States, got his degree here in the, in the States and became an associate dentist somewhere. He said, Jamie, I've got all this social anxiety, not just in the startup process, but in general, what I really desire for myself is to, in his words, become like the phoenix. I said, the what? He said, you know, phoenix from like ancient Greek mythology or whatever. I guess the phoenix, you know, kind of rose up out of the ashes. So this thing burned down and rose up out of the ashes and, and then ended up inspiring all Tim. I don't know the whole story, but Gino apparently is very moved by it. Well, Gino, he opened up right near the beginning of the pandemic. So that was fairly stressful for him. Well, what's really cool is he ended up, I'm pulling up my phone here to read you a post from Gino in this rapid accelerating startup group that we run. He says, hey guys, I want to share with you this huge honor. Here's the picture of this huge honor. So Gino ended up on the news. He's top 40 under 40 in his town. If you look up on the screen, in front of hundreds of people because he was he was featured on the news. So one of the things I love with our clients with a startup done well, the whole town gets to build up this energy of excitement and anticipation, like looking forward to the startup opening its doors. So the news broadcasts start coming in, the front pages of newspapers show up, the front pages of magazines show up. So when these startups open up, they're anticipated. I don't want to say celebrities, but it's like the whole town is getting this anxiety to come meet them in person. And again, all of it is based on values, not just discounts. In Gino's case, he said to me, Jamie, one of the things that changed my life as a kid uh, when I was growing up is music therapy. He's like, I, I don't want to sound like I, I've got issues. Everybody does, Gino's words. He says, but I, 
Uh, I, I remember going through music therapy lessons. He said, now I, I play a lot of piano and I would love if somehow I could incorporate piano or music therapy into my practice. And I said, Gino, this is awesome. This is what we do. Like we include purpose. Remember the shirt practice profits purpose. We include purpose in every startup. And in Gino's case now with every new patient that comes to his practice, he helps sponsor another kid in music therapy, just like him. Wow. And now he's inspiring the whole town featured on the news, featured as top 40 under 40, like a real phoenix rising out of the ashes. This guy, Gino, is he's not even a guy who would be a self-proclaimed business guy or desiring to be the next big success story. He's just living out his passion. And that's what I see with startups. It's almost like when you do a startup right, it's like you get to have your own platform where you get to hold your own megaphone and you get to affect people's lives. Business owners respect you. Colleagues admire you. No joke, you end up with more five-star reviews than any other practice in town. And it can happen in the first six to 12 months, even in towns where there's tons of competition and other DSOs, because a startup built on values the right way can have a dramatic effect on people's lives and values in the community. So that's the startup direction that I like going. And when I think about the irreversible mistakes like banking and real estate and demographics, those kinds of things, I know if we can if we can protect those decisions and have those go well, then it provides this safe launching pad for everything else to progress with less stress or less downside risk if we do those other things right. So I hope that gives you some ideas. It's an incredible story, first of all. When you were talking, I was thinking of Simon Sinek's, people don't care what you do, they care why you do it. Yeah. And I am like, I am this passionate fanatic of Apple everything. I own everything. I, I own yeah. seven. I have two at home, two desktops. I have the laptop. I have one at the office. I even use, so in my dental office, I use Dentrix, but it runs on the Apple server and I have an Apple keyboard and a mouse that I'm using with my PC because I have to have a PC. I don't want to work in parallels, but I have the watch. I have the, obviously the, the phone. And to me, like this is such a cult-like following and it's possible to create that in a dental practice. So yeah. the rest of my story is that I was like, okay, let me shift the direction even if I have to drive there, because the goal is, is eventually not to drive there. Now I go about once every two weeks just to kind of like, I walk around the office and I joke with people and like, you know, pat everyone in the back and my, you know, I'm the least important person there. But I remember starting out with where is the practice like I want needed, right? Yep. And then five years later, First of all, I, I hired my first associate when I went on maternity leave and she stayed with me for eight years after that. And, and just like it went on from there. But I remember standing in front of my office, leaving from my maternity leave. And I noticed kids going in and out with balloons, parents coming out with the whatever walkout statements. And there's just like this busy office and people doing things, assistant coming and going for lunch. And it was just so overwhelmingly like I built this. And then coming back from maternity leave and like, what, nobody needs me here. Like I had SOPs, everyone, every, like the office was working. And so whenever I brought an associate, I had to pull back. So they have plenty of work, not like nickel and diming them, which is important. That's how they stay with you for a long time. But to me, it's like, it's amazing. I walk into the practice and I have six doctors now. There's like almost 40 people working in the office and 
I'm literally the least important person there. And we started pretty much the same way. We were, you know, the, the city was excited for us coming in because we were the only office that was, we were in a pediatric office only, but we had a pedo bay and we were specifically serving children. And I found a community that was mostly cops, firefighters, nurses, big families, good school district, lots of kids who are being homeschooled. It was like a perfect community. And there was no pediatric dentist for miles. So five years later, we went for lunch. We decided to get in and out and Starbucks. And we come to this plaza, maybe five miles away from my office. And we see like, there's an office with a similar name to ours. Ours is dentistry for kids and adults. And this one was Valencia dentistry for kids and adults. I'm like, huh. And we come up and there's a police sign on the door. So this story, this is one of those stories where it didn't work out. And this woman, she was an associate nearby in a DSO, started this practice. One year, she had to close it down. So instead of, it it is extremely sad. And it was all eight deck chairs, all top of the line. There was so much cabinetry in this office. And I'm like, I don't even know know what to do with all these cabinetry. And it was huge filing room. We were paperless. Like it was like, I didn't understand what happened there, but found the landlord and I got to go into that space for $60,000. There was more equipment in a single operatory than $60,000. That was, you know, and I felt she went back to associating. I think she's still an associate. I don't know how much she spent on that place. It must have been close to half a million. And, you know, to me, it was like, I don't understand. This is a perfect location. There's In-N-Out, there's Starbucks. It's right next to a nail salon. Busy nail salon, women make all healthcare decisions that with people going in and out. A community bank right next on the other side, Lowe's Gardening Center right across on the same plaza, like a few steps away, huge parking, signage on two, two roads, major intersection. And when I started to unravel, I realized there was no vision, no strategy. She had to work somewhere else. So she was close half of the time. It was a huge walk-in potential, but there was nobody working in the front because she couldn't afford it. And it was just like, it went for her from bad to worse. We were profitable the first month. The only marketing that I've ever done is I put a table right next to the ATM with our swag, toothbrushes, bottled water. This is in Santa Clarita, so it gets really hot. Cold bottled water and pens. Uh And pens, because people need pens when they go to ATM. I don't know if they still do it. It's been a while since I use it. Do you remember that old movie called Field of Dreams with Kevin Gosner? Yes, yes. It's about a story of a guy who lives in the middle of Iowa in a cornfield. And he starts hearing this voice of James Earl Jones, the the actor, the voice of Darth Vader is in this movie. So it's Kevin Costner in this cornfield. And he hears this voice and it says, if you build it, they will come, right? (laughs) And he keeps hearing this voice in his head and nobody else can hear the voice. And it turns out as the story progresses and the movie goes on, turns out that it was his father who he had a strange relationship with, who had passed, who was a former baseball player. His father was channeling thoughts through his mind saying, if you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. With the visions that he was getting in his head from James Earl Jones, apparently, was if you build a baseball field, in the cornfield, in the middle of Iowa, they will come. So the movie progressed and they did come. The historic Chicago's White Sox team, they came and they played baseball with Kevin Costner and his dad showed up at the end of the movie, this touching story. I think with dental startups, there's this theme 
somehow it's really unhealthy, dysfunctional theme where associate dentists are told by people like the banks and associate dentists are told by people like the equipment companies and associate dentists are even told by their own colleagues. Don't worry. If you build it, they will come. And that's not true. Like Gina, you saw the same freaking building, like literally the same freaking chairs. The woman was told this sad story of that woman that you just told. Somebody told her, oh, don't you worry. If you build it, they will come. And that is a lie. That is not fair. It is inappropriate. It is not good for associate dentists. So if it helps, we call this the three P's for any associate dentist who's listening. You want to start getting like more than just post-it notes dangling around your office, (laughs) more than just a notebook full of papers that you assembled at courses. Remember that practice profit purpose thing from my, my golf shirt, right? That practice profit purpose. If you can categorize your planning into those three buckets, think of it as a, a bucket for practice, a bucket for profits, and a bucket for purpose. If you can begin your planning in those categories, I'll give you some examples. In the practice bucket, I would recommend that you begin planning out things like lease negotiations, like your banking strategy. I sincerely want you to include in that practice bucket, things like your business plan. Yes, even if a bank says you don't need it, you do. You need a business plan. You need a plan. You need a budget. So you need a business plan. I want you to plan out things like you're negotiating with equipment companies, your negotiations with construction companies. Gina, you mentioned the floor plans. All those things are in the practice bucket. In the profits bucket, This is what we call the startup MBA. We have a team of people called the startup MBA advisors. They help with insurance negotiations, insurance credentialing. We help with things like getting the right hires even before the doors open. In the startup MBA, there's all the systems for marketing, getting real publicity. I mean, real publicity like news coverage and TV station coverage and newspaper coverage, magazine coverage. I want you to get like real publicity weeks, at least days before the doors open. We even have a phrase at our, at our team called 100 patients by opening day. 100 new patients by opening day. That's not a promise. That. That's the pursuit. 100 new patients by opening day. So that's profits. And remember, I think it's important for anybody listening to remember, my goal is not to make the most profits. My goal is to be profitable. <laughs> because Gina, like, like your predecessor experienced, if you're not profitable, then you're, well, you're just out of business. You close and you leave and that ruins your credit. It can set you back five or 10 years. It's a train wreck if you don't have the profits component built out. So the profits piece is all the the hiring, the protocol, the systems, the policies, the procedures, all those things that that startup MBA profits. Then the third component is purpose. And with purpose, I'm talking about sincerely asking yourself what matters as a human, as an individual, and what kind of effect do you want to leave on your community in real time so that your team members, for example, your team members are coming to the practice for purpose, not just for paychecks. There's a big difference, right? People will be committed for purpose. They might not be committed just for a paycheck. It happens all the time, right? So with purpose, I want you to begin thinking through like, if you're an associate, thinking through the process of, okay, what kind of purpose do I want to pre-train the town to say about me? So what do I want the town to say about me before I'm open? And this is how, like, we created a documentary. Do you mind if I drop a URL for people to watch our documentary? It's free. Oh, I would love, I would love that. I would love that. We made a full, like, Netflix-style documentary about startups. 
Uh, it's called it. startupdentist.com. Anybody can check it out. Uh, you get free access right there. It's a five parts. Take you like, like a movie night with you and a spouse on the couch. Startupdentist.com. It's the story of Dr. Brian. He was an army doc who came out and he followed our process. He went through our whole system. He opened up his doors and it was crazy. His grand opening was standing room only. News cameras are there. The head and CEOs of, of small businesses and big corporations were all in this room with him. The whole town was anticipating his arrival in this place. And I loved that when we looked at his demographics, people like to talk about demographics and demographics ratios. When you looked at the math, not just the values, but you look, when you looked at the math that people talk about on Facebook, like demographics, his demographics ratios were very bad like 40% worse than what people on Facebook groups talk about. <laughs> so his demographics are bad, but in his first six months, he ended up having more five-star reviews than anybody else in town. In his first year, he did over a million dollars. In his first year, he had his first associate. Like this guy was rocking because of his purpose. So when I talk about purpose, I'm talking about your leadership as an entrepreneur and pride and respect that you will earn even before the doors open. So in planning, I would say practice, profits, purpose. Remember practice. Those are the 13 stages. Here's another URL. If anybody wants a free PDF, it's idealpractices.com slash 13, 13 stages, right? Idealpractices.com slash 13. You can get the whole 13 stages graph. It's like a checklist. It's like a timeline planner. So you can plan out the whole system. And so practice, profits, purpose. So there you go. There's some planning tools. How's that? I absolutely love it. And we'll put all those links in the show notes. And, you know, someone today on Dental Disrupt Nation was complaining about being an associate. And then someone made a meme that said something like, if you don't like it, stop complaining, open your own practice. So I'm going to go <laughs> back and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about our conversation and, and share cool. those links. You know what? The thing about purpose. So I was planning to open a third startup. And I think somewhere in the process, I figured it out, like with my first practice, it was like, okay, I am in a pretty competitive area, but I have this vision. I just need to systematize it. If I want to grow to multiple associates and this big practice, I need to have systems in place. So we systematize things. And I was always looking for how can we leverage technology to do something better? How can we train our people to have better scripts and words and how do we systematize something like reviews? You know, that was back in the day when we didn't have reviews, but eventually we got to that as well. And then with the second practice, I was able to tweak it. And I had this idea like, you know what, I'm going to open a third and the fourth one and the fifth one. And I'm going to just have this ultimate practices like a DSO. And then I realized, wait a second, I am excited about systems and leveraging technology. The world doesn't need another shitty DSO. What am I doing? I have no passion for building DSOs. I don't believe in that. And that's how we ended up with Yappy. You were talking about your micro lending, your, your pet project. And we started Yappy with $900. You know? That's awesome. Yeah. But when you have yeah I love the stories of you recognizing that, like how inefficient it was. I heard an interview where you were talking about, I, I was so frustrated by the fact that the patients had to come in the front door and they had to sign their name on a piece of paper. And then they were handed another stack of papers to fill out all the information. And then they went through multiple pages, writing the same stuff on all the pages. And then you had to carry those pages back behind the front desk. And then somebody else had to put those same pages, the same information back in the computer that was already on the screen. <laughs> like, <laughs> good Lord. Yeah, I guess when you look at it that way, like that was obvious. I love that you with Yappy were able to like point out the obvious and say, hold up people, like there's a better way to do this. And you're right. I think the, the term scaling in dentistry is for whatever reason, it sounds like you haven't done this, but for whatever reason, there's a weird undercurrent in dentistry that wants to sound really cool with business terms like scaling. 
scaling in like a true business sense implies that you're taking outside investor money and you're rapidly achieving growth faster than the normal rate of growth. You're scaling, right? You're exponentially scaling. I think maybe a better pursuit would be efficiencyizing. <laughs> That's a horrible <laughs> term. Nobody ever use that. But Yappy is like an efficiencyizing tool. It's not just a scaling tool. Like the vast majority of doctors who say they want to scale, I think what they really mean is they want things more efficient so they can enjoy more of what they enjoy doing most. And I think that's the real the real premise for private practice ownership. I can't speak to DSOs or big corporate dentistry because I, I don't like them. But I will say what I love about private practice ownership is you get to do what you want. Like there are dozens of different flavors of private practice ownership. Some of our clients, like one has a climbing wall in her reception area, like an that. actual climbing wall in her reception area. Another has a giant tree that the kids can put books in and, and climb on. Another has a gumball machine at one place. Another has a little slot where you can put in tokens that represent what charity you're donating to with that practice. I, I want to see things like that happen so that the practice owner can enjoy what they're maybe on this earth for not just the pursuit of this fancy business term called scaling, which in most practices, private practices is not even a real thing, nor is it achievable. So I love that Yappy does that for people, helps them stay focused on getting more of what they want with less work. Absolutely. It work, and this this might sound silly, but I think millennials actually believe in that. And I think that that that's a good thing that work needs to be enjoyable when you love what you, and it's so, you know, it's so cliche, like when you love what you do, it doesn't feel like work, but when you don't love what you do, it feels like you're dying inside, you know, yeah. you're dying inside for eight hours yeah. a day if you work for someone. But if you own the practice, it goes home with you. It never leaves. Yep. And by the way, I have a little Harry Potter playroom in my practice, Ooh, which is really cool. cool. And cool. I remember I remember kids coming in looking I'm like, oh, this is so way cooler than my old <laughs> dentist. And that's just like that's what yeah, you want to hear, awesome. you know. I was just talking to a doctor. We went through his vision call. The vision call is, is like a three-hour planning call with me and a few key executives to lay out their whole process as kind of like a kickoff thing. So during the vision call, this guy's explaining his story. And he said, Jamie, I realized that I needed to do a startup when after two years of working for this doctor, he said it was a father and a son. He said, after two years of working in this practice, he said, I'm working six days a week. I'm working overtime. I'm missing time with my wife. I'm putting my heart, my soul, my blood, my sweat, my tears into this practice because... The doctor, the senior doctor, said he was going to sell me the practice. He said, and one day I show up and the son is gone. He's like, I text the son. I'm like, what's up? And the son said, I had to take another job. We can still be friends, but I had to leave. He's like, this is super weird. He said the next day, the owner sat him down and said, hey, I'm really sorry to tell you this. I had to sell to, I shouldn't use the name. They're a company that is buying practice. Let's just call them the dental fish. He sold them to the dental fish. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> he sold to the dental fish. And this associate dentist is heartbroken. Like, wait, we had an agreement. Like it was verbal, but it, we had an agreement that you were going to sell me the practice. Now you've not only kicked out your son, but you sold out to the fish. Like it doesn't sound morally right to me, but that doesn't sound. So this doctor, poor guy. Now contrast that with, I mentioned the climbing wall doctor, right? So her name is Lauren. Contrast his heartthrob awful story. I mean, now he feels like he's a champion and he, he can rise forward. Even this week, he sent a message. He's like, I can do this. I have optimism. I'm going to take over. This is going to be awesome. So good for him. But Lauren, the climbing wall doctor, she has a climbing wall in her reception area. She, on the other hand, in the months leading up to her practice opening, you know, we planned out what she wanted to be known for in her community. 
she ended up teaming up with a mountain bike trail restoration group. This is super cool. So part of her give, we call this the give, part of the, the purpose component of a startup. For Lauren, part of her give was teaming up with this mountain bike association. I won't bore you with all the details inside of it, but multiple months to build up this collaboration with them. The relationship got so good that that organization, this mountain bike trail restoration group, they invited their 1,000 members to Lauren's open house. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So that's part of the reason that Lauren, even in a small town, why she had, no joke, 209 patients scheduled on her fourth day. Wow. (laughs) Like, oh, what? So when I hear of doctors saying things like, you know, startups are too risky. I don't want to open with zero patients. I say, that's fine. You don't have to. You could be like Gina, like the person you mentioned who opened with the expensive ADEC chairs and who listened to the voice that said, if you build it, they can come. They will come. You can be like that person. Horrible story. Or you could be like Lauren and get this place rocking with a reputation you're proud of. I guess I'll leave you with this. I'll leave the story. I'll end my story. I know it's going on, but I'll end my story with Lauren's words. I had a call with her. I was like, holy crap, how many people showed up at your open house? She's like, it was, it was so cool. It's like people are drinking beer outside. It was like a big picnic. She's like, it was all my people. They're playing cornhole out in the grass. I was like, it's a dental open house. That's so cool. And she said, Jamie, but you know the best part? She's like, yeah, you, you know, I didn't try to like grow the fastest. She said, but you know the best part? She's like, over this last week, I feel like everyone coming in they're all my ideal patients. I love that. I said, that. Lauren, guess what? That was not an accident. This whole system, like the whole 13 stages and your whole give process and the purpose thing, all of that was meshed together so that you could have what you want and start impacting this community from who Lauren is, not just what like some cookie cutter knockoff corporate wannabe conglomerate taught you at a class one day and said, the smaller your operatory, the better. Like what? You really want to be known for that? So anyway, you get the idea. Like, that's the idea. I love that because you know what? People like to do business with with people they like and know. And when you have common things with someone, when you have this, you, you share a passion, you trust them so much more. And so, you know, Lauren is probably not only working with her deal patients, but because it's her demographic, because she's working with them in some capacity, maybe helping them do something. They, maybe not immediately, but they trust her recommendations probably much more than walking in into DSO and seeing the flavor of the day doctor. Let me ask you a question because, you know, this doctor, you know, the dental fish store, they're they're big fish, by the way, very big fish. (laughs) Big fish, yeah, big fish. (laughs) Yeah, the the big fish doctor. So he comes (laughs) to you and he's heartbroken because he, you know, he was looking forward to buy this practice. He treated it as his own. He treated the patients as his own. And now he's coming to you, but he has no vision. And a lot of times it's like with marketing. I see this also on, on the groups all the time. It's like, what are you guys doing? I should start postcards. I should do this. No, no, yep. no, no, no. First, like, what are you marketing? Uh, what are, like your medium is determined by your demographic and by what it is you're marketing. You're not going to market yes. ventures and implants and pedo the same way, right? But the same thing with the vision. They can come in and say, well, should I build a climbing wall or a Harry Potter room? Like, what am I yes. doing? I don't have a vision. How do you help yeah. someone develop a vision? One cool way to look at it is, I mentioned Chick-fil-A earlier, so I'll kind of go back to Chick-fil-A. I like to say I don't like fast food, but I must not be telling the truth because I would eat Chick-fil-A every day if I could. <laughs> so look at Chick-fil-A as, as an example. Chick-fil-A is going to attract people who desire to have not red meat. They're going to attract people who at least want chicken for that day. 
they're probably going to attract people who have a, a higher appreciation for good health. They're probably also going to attract people because, well, they've been reminded of Chick-fil-A's values, even in newspaper stories, like I saw one month. There was a kid in this photograph holding a wedding ring up to the camera like this, and behind him was a sewer grate. Like a, like a sewer grate from the street. And the kid is holding the wedding ring up like this. And this, the title of the article said something like, a Chick-fil-A employee jumps down the sewer grate to save customer's wedding ring. Wow. <laughs> like, like, whoa, what? And I don't, have you ever been to Chick-fil-A? We don't have one around here. Okay. So for the people who have been to Chick-fil-A, help me if you're listening to this, Gina, you can just play along if you want. When you say to a Chick-fil-A employee at the counter, if you just ordered your, your drink and you ordered your chicken sandwich and you say, wow, this looks so great. Thank you. There's one thing every Chick-fil-A employee answers. There's one way they answer. You can test this. Go to the checkout window, go to the cashier, go to the dude with the diamond ring in the street. You say, thank you. There's one thing they're going to say in response. What they is say, it? my pleasure. I knew this. I, was, I knew this. I was going to say this before, but I decided not to interrupt because you had a momentum. <laughs> well, you know, you, I mean, you, you could even feel it, right? There's something different there. What is it? So I would say that instead of asking, hey, everybody on Facebook, what's, here's the typical answer, here's the typical question, what's everybody doing? Uh, should I do Google ads or Facebook ads? Well, I don't know. Do you want red meat customers or chicken customers? Right. Let's start more with like, do you want chicken people who are more health conscious, who might spend a little more, who might value a little extra personal touch? Well, maybe there's a different approach for those people. But even better than that, let's go back all the way back to practice, right? Practice, profits, purpose. Let's go back to practice. During the 13 stages, like I would say your marketing plan as a startup has to go all the way back to the vision call, like I mentioned before, the vision call where we're talking with the doctor who's getting fired by the dental fish, that guy, right? <laughs> he's not getting fired. He's... They bought the practice. You get the idea. Go all the way back to the vision call in the practice thing with the 13 stages timeline, right? In the 13 stages timeline, when you're daydreaming and you're planning out what you desire, I want you to begin thinking about marketing way back then. Like, who am I happiest serving? Gina, I loved how you mentioned it. You were like, I, I want to be with like moms. I want to be with families. You even said, I have 30% kids in my practice. Well, if you want to be with 30% kids in your practice, I know you're on one side of the country, but if you were in Florida, there's a very specific town in Florida where you should never open. It's called the villages. <laughs> the villages, the demographics, like if you were just to look at the demographics ratio, people say, you must have the perfect demographics ratio to open a startup. That's total BS. The villages has great demographics ratios, but the villages is a retirement community. It's the largest retirement community in the country. There's no chance you're going to see 30% kids if you open in the villages, right? So right. I would say the marketing strategy for your startup you'd be really wise to ask yourself first, who am I happiest serving? And I would build that into your 13 stages process. Where do they live? What do they like to do? Who do they hang out with? What are their hobbies? What's their average age? And build your planning around who you want to serve, not just this, if you build it, they will come theory, which is total garbage. That's my answer. I would say if with every practice, it's a little different. In Lauren's case, the climbing wall dentist, her approach, even in her first month, can probably start to play off of referred patients even in the first month. Other startups might not have that luxury, and we need to come up with a different approach to appeal to the people that they're trying to appeal to. We have an award called the 5K Award and the 10K Award and the Freedom Day. Uh, the 5K Award means you had your first $5,000 day. The 10K Award is your first $10,000 day. And then the Freedom Day is the day you can quit your associate 
Chip, one of our pediatric docs, amazing guy, David Jaden. Jaden's uh, David's awesome. David just opened his doors, I don't know, I'm going to say like four months ago. It's December now. So he opened in September, September, October, November, December. So in September, he opened his doors. In October, he got front page news coverage from Fox 6 in his town, Fox 6 News. Wow. 6 news. In November, he had his first 5K day. Now in December, he had his first 10K day and he proceeded with a 13K day. <laughs> like as a pediatric doc, that's fantastic, right? You know, their entire consulting companies, like the whole consulting company is built around getting to a $10,000 day as kind of like a career goal. What I love seeing is even in the first year, a startup is hitting the 5K days, the 10K days, and the freedom days where they can quit their associateship in that in that first year. So that's a long answer to a marketing question, but I hope that gives a different approach. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? I was just thinking that I think people love working with you because that infectious enthusiasm really translates. And, and it's like, you walk away wanting to do that. I'm always getting an itch to do another startup, but I honestly don't have time. For, I have to be realistic. I don't have time for that. Oh, that's great. That's great. I really appreciate the time we've spent. I think I know we're coming to an end here and this is going to be a great podcast, a great listen yeah. for anyone who is interested in starting a practice. And honestly, I think there's plenty of actionable advice for people who may already have a practice or may be struggling with their startup and really need to find a way to pivot. Because honestly, like once, once you're in that place, you can't just keep going. You need to change something. Doing the same thing again and again longer is not the answer. That's pretty much the definition of insanity. We all know that. So, you know, if it's not working, you've got to pivot. Well, for established practice owners, I know there are really, really smart people. You know, Gina, you've had many of them on your podcast who are geniuses and masters at fixing broken systems or realigning an existing practice. Full disclosure, I don't know how to do that. I have ideas, but I haven't done them hundreds of times. So I wouldn't want to ask anyone to try them. <laughs> what I like doing is avoiding problems, not fixing problems. So for the associate dentists out there, I would say, fix your eyes on avoiding the problems so that you don't end up being like the people who are stuck or saying on Facebook, I'm out of money. How do I get more patients? Get your eyes focused on how do I avoid these problems because I get one shot. If it's your reputation and your family's provision and your future career on the line, you get one chance to get it right. So focus your eyes on how do I avoid these major problems with hundreds of thousands of dollars of risk? How do I avoid those in my one shot to get through? And I hope all the ideas and the structures and the systems that we've been talking through today uh, give people some, some frameworks for how they can do that for themselves. Thank you so much. This was really a delightful experience talking to you about all of this stuff. And we're going to put both links in the show notes so that people can find you. Now, if someone wanted to reach out, how do they reach out? If they go to our website, idealpractices.com, I've always thought that the more I share, the more everybody wins. You could literally spend months reading all the things that we've published with not just podcasts, yes, but free articles. There's another website. So we're at Ideal Practices, idealpractices.com. There's a, a free kind of a white paper website called How to Open a Dental Office. How's that for a mouthful? How to Open a Dental Office.com. I've got a book. It's a best selling book called Choosing the Right Practice Location. Maybe I'm not so good with naming things, but it's very obvious what it is. It's a book called Choosing the Right Practice <laughs> Location. So I would recommend if there's something that somebody wants to talk about, you can email me. You can go to our website. 
and all of my contact information is right there. Idealpractices.com. Lots of good stuff there for everybody. Thank you so much. And I've been perusing some of that information. So I know there's a ton of value there. Well, Jamie, thank, thank you, you so much. This is awesome. I am delight. so happy we finally got to hang out virtually. We did like, it. In person is cool. Virtually is in some cases even better. This is awesome. Thank you. This is really good. Well, thank you so much. And we'll be in touch. All right. Thanks, Gina. Talk soon. Thanks for listening to Behind the Smiles. Today's episode was brought to you by Yappy, an automated paperless software for dentists and their teams. You can learn more about Yappy by visiting www.yappyapp.com. If you have any suggestions for future guests, or if you have any questions for us, you can reach out to Dr. Gina directly. Send your email to drgina at yappycentral.com. You can also find the email in our show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or on any of the apps that you're listening from. It's greatly appreciated. And as always, thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.